0: One of the best ways to really enjoy the personality of a major city like Rome is to enjoy a relaxing stroll in the quiet streets of the city by night.
1: I'd say Roma di sera, Roma di notte.
0: Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Expert guides will help you fall in love with Rome as we explore the city after dark, where an expertly lit historical treasure
2: could be waiting for you just around the corner. What's great about Rome at night is that You're walking down a little alleyway or a little narrow street, and then all of a sudden you pop out and there's a floodlit monument. There's the Pantheon. And an urban
0: explorer shares how to get close to the forgotten history of New York City in some of the most unexpected places. A lot
3: of times the underground of the city or the abandoned corners of the city are the only part that hasn't been redeveloped in a long time, and it's the only part where you will see history that hasn't been painted over or chipped away or something like that. Get a whole new
0: perspective on two of the world's great cities just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. One great way to connect with the locals is to speak the language, or at least some of it. Rosetta Stone is a fast, fun way to learn. It's got helpful tools like online video chats with native-speaking teachers. You can take the Rosetta Stone demo or purchase the program at a special discount at rosettastone.com slash ricksteves. In just a bit today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're going to New York City. Urban explorer Moses Gates reveals some of his favorite places for finding the forgotten history of that city, as well as views that come complete with an adrenaline rush. That's just a little later in the hour. But first, let's start with some fresh ideas for what you can do after a long day of sightseeing in Rome. It's that time of night when the museums have closed and the crowds have thinned out and made their way home. As the evening sets in and the city's piazzas say goodbye to the bustling marketplaces, the public squares of Rome take on a more relaxed mood. And there's usually a place where you can sit comfortably with an overpriced drink and enjoy the front-row view of the magic of that city after dark, pretty much the way it's been lived for centuries. Joining us for an evening stroll around the streets of Rome are two of my favorite guides. Francesca Caruso is one of the city's most knowledgeable and insightful guides, and she lives there much of the year. And Jean Openshaw is an art historian and the co-author of the Rick Steves Europe 101 book. And he authors the art and history sections of many of the Rick Steves city guides. Jean is also one of my oldest friends and travel buddies. In fact, he joined me when I first explored Europe after high school. And you can join in with us at eight seven seven three 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 seven four two five. Francesca and Jean, Buonasera.
1: Ciao. Hi,
0: for us. When I was talking about my favorite little images of Rome after dark, what images would you uh, add to the mix? Just just little glimpses of, of how Rome can charm you after dark:
2: I would add the way the character of the people change at night. During the day, Rome is a very busy, modern city of two and a half million people, and people are going about their business. they're crowding onto the buses. They're trying to hail a taxi. They're speeding like heck through traffic. And it can be exhausting. And it can be very exhausting, and they're in their business suits. And then as the sun goes down, the entire character changes. And it's not just for tourists, but for the people there. And this is what they live for in Rome, is to be able to come out and socialize, and everything becomes more relaxed. And people's attitude changes. And for them, an evening is not... I'm going to rush here to this concert and I'm going to rush here to get dinner and I'm going to grab something to go the way many Americans would do. Instead, it's settling down into this easy rhythm of life and seeing what's going to happen next.
0: And a major loss for a tourist is to have that brutal city all day long and have your agenda and then be done and go back to your hotel and and miss that magic of Rome, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Think about uh, the traditional Roman siesta. These are people who will take their large meal in the afternoon and maybe even sit down and take a little nap or watch a little TV, fall in front of the TV for 20 minutes or something, all in order to recharge their batteries so that they can come out at night and that's when they really live. And that's what tourists should also do. you know. Take a, if, you, if you need to, take a little break from your sightseeing in the heat of the mid-afternoon, take your little siesta and gear up for the wonder of nighttime.
0: Francesca, you've spent your entire life in Rome and uh, how would you encourage travelers to connect with that special dimension of Rome that happens after the workday is done?
1: Yes, it's a sort of shift from uh, grandiosity to intimacy and really discovering a more approachable city. And I have to say that one thing that I'm, I've discovered I've become very attached to and I think makes this connection with an intimate Rome easier is the way the city is lit Mm. Because I think it was a deliberate choice on the part of the city administration not to have this neon glare that sort of flattens everything and makes everything look the same, but to have these very soft, very orange lights that oh. are supposed to imitate the light of the torches in the past. So when you stroll through uh, the city at night, you can't see everything together from afar uh, you have to sort of discover it closely as you get to it, and so it um, it affords a more gradual, intimate look. That I have to say, I, I really love, and it also makes you imagine the city. Somehow, it's easier to imagine Rome in the past in the evening than it is in the daytime. It
0: really is, in and that, in that I never realized that. But the orange glow that they they have created with their lighting is uh, to take you back to torchlit Rome.
2: Kind of an interesting distinction. There's the Grand Rome. And then there's the intimate Rome, and by day, it really is the Grand Rome. When we think of the icons of Rome, we mm-hmm. think of these big Roman monuments, the Colosseum mm-hmm. and and the Pantheon zone. But really, the, the nighttime Rome is the small, more medieval lanes that people walk through. That's uh, true. By got... day, it's the archaeologist's Rome, and by night, it's the Romantics Rome. So the
0: icons of Rome after dark are more intimate, and the icons of Rome by day are these grandiose uh, monuments Francesca, something I've learned in the last few years in Italy is to take part in this whole aperitivo culture. You know, even if you're not a type of person that likes a cocktail before dinner, make room in your day for that. Have a drink on a piece of expensive real estate. Enjoy the little munchies surrounded by local people doing exactly that. What are some tips for an American who's not necessarily comfortable with that, but who wants to partake in that little slice of the culture.
1: Uh, I really invite everybody to partake in this because these uh, Italian and, uh, places are just an invitation to share in that. So if I had to plan a perfect evening in Rome, I would certainly like to have an aperitivo. If I wanted to do something, a bit of a splurge, I would go to maybe a rooftop uh, bar at, uh, at a hotel downtown. If Otherwise, I would just have it in one of the squares. Then I would have dinner. I would skip dessert and then i would plan on an after dinner stroll with gelato
2: that's a multi course really uh, movable, movable feast isn't it, hey, it it's rome <laughs> it's it, it is it's all about the pace of things i mean mm-hmm. romans don't they don't try to fit in like dinner and a show it's just right. kind of dinner <laughs> in, in the various courses that that francesca mentions where you linger over each course where the meal becomes the evening's entertainment itself and romans love to to dress up to go out to meet their friends to sit at a, a little cafe or a restaurant with those rickety tables and, and traffic roaring past them, but it's that little slice of, uh, of intimacy where they can then get into that, that pace of life and that rhythm of life where each course becomes a new magical thing.
0: And for a traveler with a tourist who wants to kind of keep it moving but have the best of both worlds, you can do it in that three-course way. Choose a square that you want to enjoy your aperitivo, choose a nice characteristic restaurant, and then stroll with the people and uh, enjoy your, your gelato break.
1: Yes, and that's when you're not a tourist anymore. That's when you really become a then local.
0: Then you become a local. Mm-hmm. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with uh, Jean Openshop and Francesca Caruso, and we're talking about Rome after dark. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at com, And Rebecca's calling from Chicago, Illinois. Rebecca, thanks for your call.
4: Hi. I just had more of a comment. Um, a few years ago, I studied abroad in Rome, and one of my favorite things to do uh, was with a lot of my girlfriends, we would dress up and go out to Trestavaray for the evening, and we like to do progressive dinners. We would start... Um, at one restaurant and just get an appetizer, two and split. And then we'd usually go to another restaurant and get pizza or some pasta. And then we'd usually um, cap it off by going to a, a final restaurant and eating like gelato or just some wonderful Italian dessert. So I highly suggest that to people is just to um, do a progressive dinner throughout Tresthaver, And
0: when you were in Trestaver, were you eating outdoors or indoors generally?
4: Both. Mostly um, outdoors. A few times it was indoors.
0: And how, Rebecca? How would you describe Trastevere?
4: Oh my goodness! It is when you think of Italy, it's what you think of when you go there. It's almost like going to Tuscany, but having Tuscany come to Rome. It's just wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's hard to that's imagine. That's
0: an interesting way to describe it. Trastevere is definitely the. The colorful... You know, in, in the United States, we have the wrong side of the tracks. We always talk about the wrong side of the tracks. And it occurs to me in Europe, it's kind of the wrong side of the river. Just like the train tracks brought commerce into town in the Wild West or something, in Europe, the river brings the commerce into town. All the decent stuff is on one side, and the crusty immigrants and, you know, uh, characteristic uh, zones would be on the other side. And Trastevere is Rome's other side of the tracks. Francesca, what advice do you have for enjoying Trastevere after dark?
1: Well, Trastevere is full of places for to have a drink or to go to dinner, but I think uh, that I understand why Rebecca liked it so much. And this is something that I think is the same reason that the uh, that the Romans themselves uh, like it. Because it's true, and as Jean was saying, too, that Rome is this big, modern, bustling city. But the thing that makes it, I think, most endearing to the Romans is that it never lost its village dimension.
0: It's true. You, st- you go through Trastevere and it does feel like a village. In fact, you've got that... That local pride, I mean, of course, it's not true today, but there was a time when, when locals bragged they would never cross the river. They spent their whole life on the other side of the Tiber River. Isn't that literally what Trastevere means?
1: Yes, on the, other side of, on the other side of the river, yes.
0: Jean, what do you think of in Trastevere after dark?
2: Oh, I, I do think of crossing the Ponte Fabricio over the Isola di Tiber. And when you enter there, this is that other side of Rome, the intimate side of Rome that we talked about earlier. This is the Rome of the narrow lanes of the red pastel buildings with green ivy hanging down with the people's laundry hanging overhead, lanes that then pop into tiny little squares where as the caller mentioned where you have little cafes, restaurants, pizzerias where you can sit down and enjoy your your meal and the, the food is great and the aperitifs are great but it really is presenting you the theater of the people that then pass by and hang out in these squares. And that's kind of what you're paying your cover charge for.
0: And something happens to the vividness of it and the character of it when the sun goes down. It's almost like going from black and white to color or something like that. Yeah. After hours, Trastevery is the place to go.
1: No, I was thinking of what uh, Jean was saying before about the idea of, of an evening with dinner and the show. Well, in the sense, I was thinking to myself that dinner is the show. In the sense yeah. that the entertainment is looking around yourself and seeing whatever people are, the way they look, what they're talking about, just participating in, this, uh, in the social life. So I was thinking of that distinction.
0: Rebecca, thanks for your call, and, and you got us onto a, a beautiful end of Rome there. It's a, it's a beautiful idea to go to Rome and have that uh, wonderful, movable banquet.
4: Well, thank you so much. Okay. Grazie.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking Rome After Dark with Jean Openshaw and Francesca Caruso. Francesca, how do you say Rome after dark in Italian? I
1: would say Roma di sera, Roma di notte. Roma di sera notte. Sera is evening. I'm yeah,
0: all right. Night. Yeah, Rome in the evening. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. We're sharing notes on how to enjoy Rome. Di notte. <laughs> di
1: notte. Di notte.
0: Support for travel with Rick Steves comes from Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone believes that knowing even just a little bit of a new language can help take down barriers, so your trip can be truly memorable. Helping people learn language for more than 20 years, it's now available on smartphones and tablets. Learn more at RosettaStone.com/RickSteves. We'll explore the untouristy and even the off-limits corners of New York City today on Travel with Rick Steves with a return visit from urban explorer and author Moses Gates in just a bit. Right now, we're taking our time to enjoy another of the world's great cities, one that deserves a prominent place on any traveler's wish list. I think the charm of Rome only gets better after dark. It can be an overwhelming city by day where everyone's in a hurry and traffic generally competes with some of the greatest city views anywhere. But after dark, that's when Rome becomes a friend. Compared to most cities in the United States, the streets of central Rome are safe and inviting for an evening stroll. And you'll fit right in if you dress up a bit for dinner. Afterwards, there's a perfect opportunity to wander the city's medieval back lanes for a late-night gelato or maybe share a drink within splashing distance of a Baroque fountain. The backdrop may be a monument sculpted by one of the greats of art history in one of the city's relaxed, traffic-free piazzas. Joining us for a nighttime walk through Rome are Roman guide Francesca Caruso and art historian and author Gene Openshaw. And we're checking in with you at 877-333-RIC. Francesca, You've had your aperitivo now, and everybody's out. Uh, The floodlighting's there. The city is in its magic, glowing, warm feeling. The the people have made their money. Now they're just going to have a good time. Uh, You've done your work. Tour groups are gone. Now you can go out with your your favorite uh, travel partner and (laughs) just enjoy the city. Where are you going to go?
1: Well, there are numerous walks that one uh, can go on, and I would like to tell you about one that you can do even in the reverse order, if you like, depending on where you are. I would uh, like to start from St. Peter's Square because in the evening it's lit up splendidly. And I would just walk towards the river where the Castel Sant'Angelo, this fortress where the popes used to escape to in the past, it's also lit up beautifully, cross the river Tiber and cross it on the uh, Bridge of the Angels, which is decorated with these beautiful Baroque statues by uh, Gian Lorenzo Bernini and his workshop, some absolutely fantastic Baroque statues, Then I would walk along the Via dei Coronari. The Via dei Coronari is a street that's very easy to find on a map, and it does give us that backstreet village um, dimension that we've been discussing, very, very romantic, too, in a strange way. And I would end up at Piazza Navona for that extra gelato. This is a very simple one to trace on a map, and I think it it gives the grandeur and it gives the intimacy.
0: And you could actually uh, work that in with your sightseeing, because if you go to St. Peter's in the Vatican to see the basilica or the museum, you're going to spend a good part of your day there. Uh, You could grab an early dinner there, or you could just take a little break and then start this walk uh, when we get that magic hour going on. When you are walking down that, what's the big uh, boulevard that approaches St. Peter's Square? Eh,
1: Via della Conciliazione.
0: Yeah, that was designed by By Mussolini. Mussolini, Explain that, because it was a medieval hodgepodge before, and then Mussolini wanted to change it up.
1: Yes, and it actually changed everything, even from a visual standpoint, because until they built that road, there was this busy, uh, very intricate neighborhood there. And after the ladder and packs were signed in 1929 that established the status of the Vatican City as we know it today, uh, Mussolini had that neighborhood completely demolished and opened it up. uh, So if uh, if
0: you wanted to save a charming medieval neighborhood, that was sort of unfortunate. But if you want to enjoy the grandeur of Michelangelo's dome and to be able to see that dome, in its beautiful sort of completeness you have that great procession way now Yes, Thanks to Mussolini.
1: Yes, a, a lot of people, I think, regretted that because it had it, with Mussolini's Via della Conciliazione, it lost the surprise effect that you would ah. meander through narrow little streets and a little bit of like a trevi, boom, there you would be from one moment to the next. So now with the fact that you can see it from a distance, uh, it's a different effect.
0: Okay, Jean, I, I think uh, you enjoy Michelangelo. Would Michelangelo want you to see his dome with the surprise effect or would he
2: appreciate <laughs> Mussolini's approach? <laughs> Michelangelo was very theatrical himself the way he did it. I... You know his so, it's, do- so it's Benito and Michelangelo.: <laughs> <then. Yeah. laughs> I'm just getting a kick out of saying, "Grazie, Benito. It's for, <laughs> yeah. so odd to thank yeah, Mussolini very for, odd.
0: <laughs> to say, very, very, to say very Mussolini odd. in the same <laughs> sentence as the Vatican, St. Peter's and Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Jean. Yeah. Now we're taking this beautiful walk, uh, enjoying uh, the, the grand uh, street from uh, Via della Conciliation. Is that what mm-hmm. it is? It's the mm-hmm. street of Conciliation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're also walking parallel to an elevated pathway that the Pope used to escape to the Castello San' Angelo and that was the second stop on Francesca's Walk. Now, when you look at Castello San Angelo, you're looking at a good example of the many layers of Rome, aren't you? Yes. I guess you had to say yes because I pra- <laughs> yeah. I, I phrased it that <laughs> way. <laughs> Let me phrase yeah. it this way. What do you yeah. see when you look at Castello San well, Angelo? Well, it,
2: it was originally a tomb for Hadrian, and that was the original structure, and then it took on other uses as time went on, and so in medieval times, because it was so tall and so... Monumental, it was used as a castle, hmm. Castel Sant'Angelo, mm-hmm. and, and as a prison. So it um, was the mas- the tomb or the mausoleum of,
0: of Emperor who? Hadrian. Hadrian. And that was just on the other side of the river because you couldn't bury people on the main side of the river. Is that right?
1: Yeah, one of the yeah. most ancient Roman laws established that the dead had to be buried outside the city.
0: Okay. And then it served as, as that uh, function in
1: the Middle Ages as a castle.
2: Yeah. And and today, it's wonderful place to go up at sunset. Just talk about a way to kick off your evening. Oh, yeah. uh, you go up there and you look across and you have this incredible view of Michelangelo's dome and all of the other domes of the city. And you watch the, the sun turn orange and you watch the, mm. the pigeons as they start flying by. And this is where you begin to see night descend on the eternal city. Now Castel San Angelo, wonderful place. In, it's, it's big time in Italian opera, isn't it? Um well, it it is. This was the the place if you've ever seen the the opera Tosca, this was the place that Cavaradossi was uh, imprisoned and and sang, hey, luce van la and then the dramatic final thing, as the curtain falls, Tosca standing at the top of Castel San Angelo, and rather than being captured, she thrusts herself off the ramparts and falls to her death in the Tiber.
0: Well, now now speaking of falling to your death in the Tiber, the bridge right there in front of it is infamous, isn't it, for a sort of the pilgrim equivalent of a rock concert stampede?
1: Yes, because that was the only access to the Vatican uh, from that side. So, yes, it became incredibly crowded and at one point. Uh, I think it collapsed and many, many people actually killed. It's the Ponte de la, degli Angeli, the Bridge of the Angels.
0: Pilgrims just crushing into to the finale of their pilgrimage where they'd walked all the way from France or something like oh, this. Oh, yes. Now, the next stop on your walk through nighttime Rome is Via di Coronari. Do I remember correctly it's got a lot of antique shops along yes, there? Yes. It's, it's famous of... for antique shopping, mm-hmm. and in the evening, they are beautifully lit windows, and a lot of the shops are open.
1: Yeah, sometimes they have these antique fairs, so they stay open, and it's lit in that way that mm-hmm. we said, and it's also it's mostly pedestrian, so...
0: Now, um, coronari, does that mean you have a coronary when you see the price of the antiques? Or, or what's, the, uh, what's the derivation of <laughs> I, that I word? I think
1: that there were garland makers there in the past or something. What
0: does coronari mean? Via de-
1: well, corona is crown, so, but I think uh, corona well, the crown. Di fiori, the crown's that fly, garlands, and oh, okay. uh, that's how you call them in Italian, corona di fiori, flower crowns.
2: Gotcha. This, this walk just reminds me of so many walks. What's great about Rome at night is that, on the one hand, you're walking down a little alleyway or a little narrow street and then torch lit or or seemingly torch-lit with this new lighting. And then all of a sudden you pop out and there's a floodlit monument. There's the pantheon, mm. you know, that, that mm-hmm. surprise element. And, you know, you're getting that mix of this very romantic and dark that, that's then punctuated with a blaze of light mm. and blaze of glory from ancient monuments. And
0: you can have a kind of a quiet, dark, cobbled street and suddenly you step into a floodlit square with three great fountains and it's just bustling with people and artists and street musicians and outdoor cafes, and of course I'm thinking of Piazza Navona, which is well-lit in the evening and filled with uh, lots, of, lots of energy. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Francesca Caruso and Jean Openshuk. Francesca Caruso, that's so Italian. Jean Open <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Come on, Jean. Francesca, so can Anglo? You, uh, Francesca, can you say Jean's uh, name in a good Italian sort of way?
1: Jean uh, Open <laughs> Oh, well,
0: Francesca Caruso. Our Car- phone number. I'll start calling you Rick Steves. Rick Steves. Rick Steves. Our phone number, 8773337425. That's
1: perfect.
0: And Aldora is on the phone from Oakland, California. Aldora, thanks for your call.
4: Hi, Rick. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Um, So I'll be a solo woman traveler to Rome. And I just want to know, where can a solo woman go to enjoy evening activities and still be safe? And what are the do's and don'ts of body language in bars and nightlife venues?
0: I think uh, Jean would not be the uh, appropriate person (laughs) to answer this one. Francesca, what about women in Rome?
1: Well, I think as far as being safe, uh, I wouldn't worry about that. If you stay in the historical center, there are always going to be, for the most part, so many people out and about that it's never going to be a problem. What's bound to happen is that people are going to, um, guys are going to come up to talk to you probably quite often, so be prepared for that.
0: For years, I would I would <laughs> take my groups, which were a lot, a lot of women in my tour groups a long time ago, because women just felt comfortable with the group, and, and it was sort of a game. We'd stand on the edge of a square like Piazza Navona and send one woman out on the square and we'd just time it and see how long it was before some <laughs> Italian guy had walked up and started up a conversation.
1: A matter of seconds, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a matter of seconds. But I, I've, you know, Aldera, we've been bringing people to, to Rome for decades. And uh, I've never heard of anybody having a problem who, who used common sense. I mean, you can find dangerous neighborhoods in Rome. But if you're, if you're out where we're talking about today, I mean... Uh,
1: oh, yes. Common sense is the key.
0: What are the do's and don'ts? I mean, what can you do? You can be misunderstood. My understanding is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are quick to misunderstand some sort of a body language you might give out.
1: Well, in Italian, there's this expression non dare confidenza, so not to become confidential in a sense. So, So to be maybe just a little bit careful at first not and, to uh, be
0: coming be confidential meaning I, not to be in and talk about meaningful things or or just
1: Oh finish. just uh, I just uh, be very very neutral and very vague at first I would uh, certainly be careful when accepting drinks and things like that right. I mean but again common sense
2: One of the great things about Rome at night or at least Rome in the evening the the word is the passeggiata mm-hmm. is people are out to uh, you know, strolling and meeting their neighbors and so on. And one of the big aspects of that is the meeting of the genders. Mm-hmm. Now, I, if I'm not mistaken, Francesca, were you telling me that that uh, that uh, where that's a common element everywhere? But one of the biggest pasajada streets, the Via del Corso, weren't you telling me that that's getting a little a little crude or rude, a little a little too much? Uh, of the meeting of, of the sexes, the meeting of the sexes there—that that's kind of what they're they're on the make—is is that? Well,
1: it's mostly teenagers. Teenagers that come from uh, from around the city. So yeah, it does have an element of roughness. I would stay I would stay on the side streets or in the uh, in the areas like Piazza Navona and in the Pantheon. But
0: if you're looking for greasers and the fawns, mm-hmm. you'll then, find it yeah, on you the. the <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I, my understanding is suburban Rome doesn't have much public spaces, and these kids that live out in the suburbs, when they want to hang out, they'll catch the subway, go downtown. What's the word? In, in most of Italy, it's the passeggiata, and there's a sort of an elegance. You're out strolling. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, madame. Uh, and in, in Rome, it's called the struccio. Uh,
1: yes, the struccio, which implies that? that you actually, that there's physical... So uh, it's the rubbing. A, it's a, yes. Literally <laughs> rubbing. the rubbing. It's so you go the on rubbing. the uh, Via del Corso <laughs> yeah. after dark, and it's the
0: rubbing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, get a little friction <laughs> there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little. And uh, I, I love the murmuring that goes on, because you can, you can hear people, you know, it's your reminder of the gender of the words, you know, bella or bello. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yes, constant commentary on everybody walking past. So
0: this is a slice of, I mean, you know, lowbrow as it may be, to see the rubbing and people saying Bella and Bello and showing off their Vespas and their latest high heels or whatever. It's a fun slice of Rome as far as I'm concerned.
1: I think so.
0: Eldora, thanks for your call.
1: Thank you.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking Rome after dark and uh, the passeggiata anywhere in Italy. That's a great thing. But in Rome, it's amazing. They would shut down the main drag, the Via del Corso. Uh, the police on their horses are there at the, at the Piazza del Popolo, and it's,
1: it's a people's domain. Yes, but I think it says, uh, it says a lot about the way in which an urban setting can be experienced. I mean, the Romans hate crowds as much as anybody else, but they also don't like deserted places. So the passeggiata for me, is just the right amount of people. Where I can feel that I'm part of a community, I can feel that I'm part of something bigger than just me. Yeah. Uh, but still I don't feel overwhelmed by crowds of people. I, I just like that. I mean I think that's what Rome is. I all miss about. it when
0: I get home because you walk down the streets here in in the Seattle area and it just doesn't have that after hours energy and in and in, in Italy, it's a delightful thing about Italy.
2: Yeah, when when I'm traveling by myself, as I as I often do, oh sole mio. But one of the great things about Italy and Rome in particular is you don't have to ever feel alone. It's just you know, you and your cup of gelato, and you're walking down the street, and you're just right in the river of life. I love it. It, it is such a, a quintessential part of
0: experiencing Italy, isn't it? Yeah. And half the travelers that go there miss it. That's the sad thing to me.
2: Yeah. They're burned out from their their sightseeing by day. Skip a museum. Keep some energy
0: for Rome after hours.
1: And please don't think that Rome is just the Colosseum St. Peter's and Trevi. It's all of this. It's the poetry that maybe is so difficult to miss but I really invite everybody to find it.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been enjoying Rome After Dark, Roma di notte, with Francesca Caruso and Jean Openshaw. Our email address is radio at ricksteves.com, and Kevin in Wilmington, Delaware, emailed us. And Kevin writes, Alone with the wife for the first time in nine years. The kids are with the in-laws. It's our first time to Rome. Where shall we go to be really swept away? Oh, I love that idea. Okay, so it's a a romantic vacation for Kevin and his wife. First time away from the kids in ages. They're going to Rome for their first
2: time. Gene, what's an after dark a moment that they should be sure to enjoy? I'll go with a, a, a biggie. The Spanish Steps. I go to the Spanish Steps because there, that's where all of Rome will be descending for nightfall, and you will see the things that are typical of Rome at night. Mm. There'll be floodlights, You'll see Bernini's Fountain down at the base. Uh, You'll have people sitting on on the steps. You have that social aspect. And if you wanted to, you could climb up to the top where you can get a great view out over all of Rome. So you can really feel like you are in one place, but you're taking part of the entire city. And then if it was your first night there, the best thing about it is you could then walk down the steps, go right into the metro, and head straight back to your hotel. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Wow, that's perfect. You know, I would
0: say, I would go where Jean and I went when we were 18 years old on our, on our first time in Rome. I don't know if you remember this, Gene, but we went to the Capitol Hill and sat on a banister huh. overlooking the Forum yes. as lights come on, and it was just quiet, just the cats and the Forum and these magical images of ancient Rome after dark. Francesca, where would you go after dark?
1: Well, of course I would have chosen both of these. (laughs) No, I think that those are perfect. But maybe why not uh, go and also uh, just sit by the Colosseum in the evening? I was thinking that that might be romantic in a strange way too to, I think, cross the world and go and sit by something that's 2,000 years old and but be alone with it because in the evening there are very, very few people there and just have, why not, a moment of intimacy with the ancient past of mm. Rome but also feel surrounded by the mm. modern city.
0: And the glad, those fake gladiators, those annoying well, guys, hopefully we, they they're gone. Have gone home they're right gone then.
1: at <laughs> that time. <laughs> I was counting on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the newly restored Arch of, Arch of Constantine right there, yes. floodlit beautiful. And you could
2: really sense, you know, if you're there with you, with your significant other you can really sense in this eternal city how each generation is repeated from Roman times right up to the present and mm. those same stories of falling in love and uh, building mm. a life together you're just one more link in that big chain in the eternal city and it will go on and on and on Jean Openshaw
0: Francesca Caruso beautiful beautiful opportunity for me to enjoy reminiscing about Rome after dark thanks so much
1: Grazie.
5: Grazie. Thank
0: you. Stay with us on Travel with Rick Steves for one of the most unusual, if not unorthodox, insider guides to New York City. Moses Gates is the author of Hidden Cities. And he returns to share some of his favorite highlights of underground New York, places where young and fearless urban explorers assert their right to public access, especially if the prospect of a little danger promises an adrenaline rush when you actually make it to, let's say, the top of the Brooklyn Bridge. The thrills of New York City, way off the beaten path. That's next on Travel with Rick Steves. Ich bin Fabian aus Deutschland und ich reise mit Rick Steves. I'm Fabian from Germany, and that was German for I Travel with Rick Steves. Ich bin Fabian aus Deutschland, und ich reise mit Rick Steves. In a city as noisy and chaotic as New York, you might be surprised to learn that there are still plenty of hidden places where the muddle of the urban landscape takes a back seat. And for a crazy few, there are thrills the rest of us might prefer to just hear about far from the city's more famous and comfortable sights. For Moses Gates, that means venturing into many of the city's abandoned places. He's made a point to venture to some of New York's most desolate settings, and he's a fixture in its literal underground scene. That's the one that lies beyond the do-not-enter signs. Wow. Moses lives in the city, and he's a licensed New York City guide. He's also an urban planner and demographer, and he's written a fun memoir about urban exploration... He calls it Hidden Cities, travels to the secret corners of the world's great metropolises. And he's back with us on Travel with Rick Steves with a starter guide for exploring the real underground of New York. Moses, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rick. Now, you're a licensed New York City guide.
3: What does that mean? So in order to become a tour guide in New York, we actually have a pretty strenuous procedure. You need to pass a test and you need to become licensed. And I got my license in the summer of 2001.
0: You could just do the normal, predictable sort of tourist attractions in New York City, but you take people to a whole different dimension of the city. Where do you take people that's different than your standard guide? So I take people to a lot of
3: off-the-beaten-path places, and I try to take people to see the parts of New York City that they wouldn't necessarily think of just by reading a guidebook or just by going to, say, the Times Square Information Center. A lot of stuff in the outer boroughs, a lot of tours involving municipal infrastructure, and just a lot of nooks and
0: crannies we try to get in there. Now, you favor the more quirky neighborhoods uh, away from the center. Uh, What's a couple of neighborhoods that would be often overlooked that you think really give a fun dimension to New York City?
3: So one of my favorite things to do is to take people along the number seven train, which is actually a United States designated heritage trail. You take them from Long Island City through Woodside, Sunnyside, and over to Jackson Heights, which is one of our most diverse neighborhoods in Queens, has a... Really strong South Asian community, Hispanic community, and it also, and a lot of people don't know this, it also has a very big uh, LGBT community and actually hosts the Queen's Pride Parade
0: every year. Hmm. And they have great taco carts. <laughs> now, you're right. Like neighborhoods in all cultures, there are particular unspoken traditions and sensibilities. There are certain ways of coming and going, of talking or not talking, of decorating the yards and painting the houses. What's an example of how uh, an astute observer might see these kind of differences from one neighborhood to the next?
3: So New York City is really diverse, and we are amazing in our ability to kind of get along with each other and have a real live and let live attitude. So those differences aren't something that's real hard and fast. It's not something where somebody will look at you really funny if you decorate your house differently from your neighbor but it is interesting to see kind of the different neighborhood traditions that you find around one of the best ones and one of the ones i love to take people on in the winter is to go to Diker heights to see the unbelievable christmas displays mostly along 89th 90th street and it's a place you can't really get to
0: by public transportation this is deep in the heart of brooklyn a whole different dimension of New York would be underground and forbidden reaches that are very high up where you're all alone and you have an incredible view. That's the theme of your Mm -hmm. book, Hidden Cities. I don't know if you can take your groups on this as a licensed tour guide, but talk about your fascination with and the rush that you get from either going underground or going up high in New York City. In fact, take us to the top of a bridge. What's that like?
3: First, I will say I definitely, unfortunately, cannot take tour groups to a top of a bridge or underneath New York in the tunnels or anything like that. When I'm doing tours, I try to keep it above board and above ground for the most part. But when I'm off the clock in terms of being a tour guide, climbing bridges is an absolutely amazing experience. It's something where you walk across bridges all the time. You, Everybody knows what the Brooklyn Bridge is or the George Washington Bridge or the Queensboro Bridge. You see it in the opening credits of TV shows, you see it in movies, and you feel like you know these kind of structures, and especially if you're a New Yorker, you feel a certain ownership of them, you want to see as much as you can. You want to see them from the walkway, and you also want to see them from the top. There's been a a whole bunch of movies where people have climbed the cables of the Brooklyn Bridge, and I remember watching those and thinking, I wonder what that's like. So a lot of it's just satisfying your own curiosity and also having a, a real personal interaction with the city you love. But when you're on top, the amazing part is how removed and how connected you are to the city both at the same time. You're sitting there on this narrow little spire of metal. The Manhattan Bridge, when you're on top of the Manhattan Bridge, if you're reasonably tall, you can lie down lengthwise, stretch your arms out, and touch both sides of the bridge. It's that narrow on top. It's so ephemeral, and you're 300 feet up in the air. So you're attached to the city only by this tiny little metal shard that's rising hundreds of feet above the water and then attached to the city by this, you know, narrow span to its shore.
0: And there's no railing. It's just it's just a platform. <laughs> no, no, they they do not have a <laughs> I'm safety. I'm thinking like up a normal tourist. Maybe, now, maybe they should. I don't but know. you've got a community of urban explorers. Has anybody ever made love on top of that bridge? Uh, Yes, they have, as a matter
3: of fact. I will count myself among the club. I will put that out there. And it's something that other people have really liked, just the view and being outdoors and the unique experience. But the thing you have to remember is that you're outdoors and you're naked and it's really (laughs) high up and it's windy (laughs) and it's really cold. So it's the kind of thing where if you – If you think having sex on top of a mountain would be romantic and wonderful, a bridge might be for you. If you're the kind of person that prefers things indoors like (laughs) I am, it makes for a great story, but it's not an experience I would necessarily repeat. (laughs) I'll put it like that. And
0: physically, is there a, do you have to have a grappling hook to get over the barrier or do you just can you just step around it and then it's just wide open? You just hang on to the railing and walk to the very top of the bridge? Or how demanding is well, it?
3: Well, it, it really depends on who you are. You have to remember that these are human-made structures and maintained by humans and, as such, need to have human access to them. The bridge okay. workers need a way to get on top of the bridge. Okay, let's that makes let's sense. put it like that. So it's not anything that... Well, usually it's not anything that's an insane climb. There was one time when we went and climbed the Queensborough that I almost fell, but, but that, that was not the normal way. Um, but generally speaking, it's not something my grandmother could do, but I would say it's something a reasonably athletic person who's not afraid of heights and has balance mm-hmm. wouldn't be that troubled by. I do not recommend it just to let you know.
0: You could probably go to YouTube and search for it and see some interesting videos of this activity. I'm sure you could. Now you mentioned three or four bridges, each of them not open to the public and each of them actually open to urban adventurers who want to jump the barrier and climb up, is that right? I would think they could just more effectively close it off so you physically couldn't get up there.
3: That sound that's easier said than done. It's not easy to scale many of these bridges. I think that the city could really do well by opening these up to the public. I mean, mm-hmm. Sydney has a bridge climb. It, it hmm. makes an amazing amount of money. It makes millions of dollars a year, and it affords people a really great experience and a really great view. And I think if we instituted hmm. that in New York City, it could be done, and it could be a really great experience for New Yorkers and for tourists also. It would be a great boon to the tourism industry and
0: would be a good source of revenue also. They do that in Stockholm. They have roof climbing tours where they harness up and they take you up and it's legal and it's it's part of the joy of the city. Take us underneath. Before we get back into your uh, licensed tour guide hat, what is the biggest thrill for you as an urban explorer underneath the streets of New York? So the biggest thrill is just
3: seeing things with your own eyes that you've either heard about and never thought you could see or just discover when you're there. A lot of times the underground of the city or the abandoned corners of the city are the only part that hasn't been redeveloped in a long time. And it's the only part where you will see history that hasn't been painted over or chipped away or redeveloped or something like that. Especially in a city like New York that's constantly changing and constantly being updated and constantly having history painted over and destroyed. It's a time tunnel experience. In a way it is.
0: Autumn in New York. Why does it seem so inviting? I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Moses Gates. He writes a fascinating book called Hidden Cities, a memoir of urban exploration. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Monique is on the line from Haverhill, Massachusetts. Monique, thanks for your call.
4: Hi, thanks. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to say that one of my favorite places to visit in New York City is uh, the Lower East Side Tenement Museum. It's fascinating to see. These are actual apartments um, that real immigrants lived in, and they've set them up to look basically like they might have looked when these families lived there.
0: So is that taking you back through time, or just different uh, ethnic sort of lifestyles?
4: Both. They have different time periods. They're represented different families. Ah. Um, I've been into a couple of them. One was a, a Jewish family from Russia. Another was an Italian uh, family that immigrated a little bit more recently, and um, it was just really cool to see what it might have been to live there in those different time periods and some of the challenges that they faced living in that uh, neighborhood and as new immigrants.
0: Those are one of my favorite kinds of museums in different uh, cities around Europe, and it's nice to know that exists in New York. It's the Lower East Side Tenement Museum. Moses, do you know about that one?
3: I do, and most of those guides, by the way, are licensed New York City tour guides, uh, just to let you know. But it is those personal interactions with real history, the the way it was and the way it was lived, that is so interesting and so magnetic. If you were in a regular old room and you had those guides dressed in period costume and everything like that, and you had the Lower East Side Museum in a brand new condo, it wouldn't be the same thing. It really is that direct experience that means a lot.
0: That sounds great, Monique. Thank you for the tip. Thanks. Yeah, and Eric is on the line in Hoboken, New Jersey. Eric, thanks for your call.
4: Oh, hi, Rick. Uh,
5: great to speak with you. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I I used to live in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm actually from California, but I I went to school in Brooklyn. And after I graduated, I moved across the Hudson River into Hoboken, New Jersey. And when I saw you were doing this topic, I just wanted to point out to people who are thinking about Manhattan, New York views, and all that, that uh, one of the most beautiful perspectives on the city is actually from outside the city. And when the news shows and movies shoot a shot of Manhattan, it's usually either the Brooklyn side or the Hoboken side so I just want to invite your listeners to think about coming to Hoboken when they're visiting New York to get that fresh perspective, and especially if they come when we have nice weather. Um, One of my favorite things to do is I'm a pretty avid bike rider, and you can actually bike all the way up the side of the Hudson River on the Jersey side to the George Washington Bridge, go over the bridge on the bike, come down on the west side and see all the beautiful parks along Manhattan's west side, go across the bottom of Battery Park City in Manhattan, take the ferry over to Staten Island, ride across Staten Island, ride up the Bayonne Bridge back into Jersey, see all of Jersey City and Bayonne, and then you're back in Hoboken. And it's it's, uh, quite a long distance, but it's a very spectacular, great view of the city and, and a great way to see a lot of cool stuff.
0: That sounds wonderful. Moses, does that make sense to you?
3: I definitely want to second the Jersey love uh, that's going on here. And a lot of those neighborhoods in Hoboken, West New York, Weehawken, Union City, Fort Lee, places like that are just as interesting and diverse and Mm -hmm. have just as much character as the neighborhoods in Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, everything like that. So shout out to Jersey.
5: There's a great movie with uh, William Hurt called The Simeon Line where they live in Weehawken and and you get that spectacular view. You're right above Times Square looking down on the island.
0: Beautiful. Thanks, Eric, for your call. Thanks a lot, Rick. Take care. Bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Moses Gates about hidden cities, specifically New York City. Moses, I found it fascinating that you wrote you want to retire but you can't. Why would you want to retire and why can't you? So as I've
3: grown older, my priorities have changed, as do all of ours, and I'm less focused on having adventures and traveling and things like that and more focused on career and personal life and and other more adult things. The problem is that we all exist within the boundaries that we have, and my boundaries are just different than they were 10 years ago. So because of that, I personally in my own head take a lot less risks now mm-hmm. and have a lot less adventures and push my personal comfort envelope a lot less but because it's changed so much i probably actually do more trespassing than i than i did at the beginning
0: moses you wrote a fascinating uh, insight about a bangladeshi neighborhood just after 911 can you just finish our little discussion about uh, New York City with uh, your sort of observation there and, and what it meant to you? So I moved
3: to the city in the summer of 2001, and I left really early in September because I couldn't find a sublet and was in D.C. when 9/11 happened. Uh, and then I was back in the city uh, maybe a two or three weeks afterwards, and I was walking around a neighborhood called Kensington in Brooklyn, which is a neighborhood I eventually ended up living in, and I I love this neighborhood. It's my favorite neighborhood in New York City. And we were walking and turned the corner, and on every single house of the two blocks, it was, I remember distinctly, it was Dayhill Street, south of the church, there was an American flag, sometimes two American flags, there was a flag on every car, there were flag bumper stickers everywhere. And I thought, wow, these people must be really patriotic. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was maybe a block full of uh, first responders or or what. And after a little bit of walking, you were able, you know, just by observing the storefronts and, and the people and things like that, I realized it was a Bangladeshi neighborhood and it was really moving to me. The extent that the people who lived there had to go to to, to demonstrate that they were American, uh, and the extent that they had to go to to ward off potential, you know, potential negative consequences and violence, and it reminded me I'm Jewish, and it reminded me of the Passover story, where in Egypt when the plagues are happening and the there's the slaying of the firstborn. Uh, the Jews would ri- wipe ram's blood on their doors to tell the angel of death to pass over them, and th- that's really what what struck me about it is that these American flags were were a signal to pass over us, and it really struck me, and it it was something that that has stayed with me a long time, and I I think it's a real shame that people have to go to that extent to demonstrate that they're. Part of this country mm-hmm. because of you know their, their race or religion or, or anything else.
0: I think it's a real shame. So sort of a sad thing that an um, ethnic neighborhood would have to fly flags just so they didn't get ransacked uh, in the anger after 9-11. On the other hand, it's a beautiful reminder that we all live together and share this beautiful country, and, and we just love to have New York City to go and celebrate one of the greatest urban environments on this entire planet. Moses Gates, author of Hidden Cities, A Memoir of Urban Exploration, Good luck with your guiding, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rick. I had a great time. Yeah. See you on top of a bridge sometime. On his website, Moses Gates blogs about urban exploration, including his goal to walk the streets in each of New York City's census tracts. He lists his favorite abandoned observation decks in Manhattan and discusses the importance of knowing the risks and your limits when it comes to being an urban explorer. His website is mosesgates.com. Travel with Rick Steves is a production of Rick Steves Europe
3: in Edmonds, Washington. It's produced by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac Kaplan-Wolner. We get ongoing website support from Andrew Wakeling and Kate Mulhern-Graham and tech support from Jonathan Lee. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Thanks to our friends at the Radio Foundation in New York for their help this week. You'll find guest
0: information, program extras, and you can listen again on demand each week in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Support for Travel with Rick Steves comes from Rosetta Stone, helping you prepare for your trip to a foreign country by learning a new language through talking to a native speaker. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash ricksteves.
3: Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. Rick Steves' Italy is America's top-selling Italian guidebook. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guides for Rome, Venice, Florence, and Tuscany, and Rick's Italian
0: phrasebook. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for Italy and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.